Hey everyone, thank you again for joining me on the BIPOC Outside podcast. I'm Chris Cromwell, and today we're sitting down with Lamont Joseph White. Lamont is a professional artist who's found himself at the center of the current conversation of meaningful representation in the outdoors. So let's get into it, shall we? But before we get into it, as you know, This show doesn't happen without our title sponsor, the Outward Bound Canada Training Academy for Outdoor Professionals. With program locations across Canada that offer free programming to address skill gaps in the outdoor sector, the Training Academy is building the next generation of outdoor leaders with a commitment to meaningful Indigenous representation. And by prioritizing BIPOC and 2S LGBTQ plus inclusion, the Academy is reimagining what the outdoor industry looks like. Check out their website to sign up for their free spring and fall sessions. Visit obctrainingacademy.ca or find their partner link on our website. We also need to shout out our presenting sponsor, Mountain Gazette. Mountain Gazette is a biannual large format magazine celebrating mountain culture, featuring beautiful long-form storytelling from real people who love the outdoors. These are stories that you will sit with and savor. Each issue also contains stunning photography. These are magazines that you'll keep and come back to. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. Check them out at mountaingazette.com or find their partner link on our website. Lamont, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Nice to speak with you. Nice to speak with you too. So let's jump into it. You're originally from the Queens area of New York. Is that correct? Yeah, I was born in Manhattan, New York, and lived in Queens until I was getting ready to start kindergarten. And then we moved to New Jersey, basically to a New York suburb in in New Jersey. So then I came back to New York after I finished, after I graduated high school, came back to New York and lingered in and out of New York, New Jersey, New York, New Jersey, New York, you know, sort of continuously. Yeah. Right on. So where did you get your start in the outdoors? Oh, gosh. I mean, technically... I just always been a lover of sort of running around outside, even from an early age. The season having the advantage of, you know, experiencing four seasons growing up. You know, it, it you know, whether you're playing at the beach, where we're we're within a half an hour from the beach where I grew up, or playing in the snow in the winter time, and sort of everything in between. Uh, I just love to run free, whether it was grass or sand or snow or you know whatever it was, running through trees, through the forest, through the woods. I was lucky to have all that as a child. And then when you talk about getting into the snow space, that really didn't happen until I was an adult when I first skied. So I was probably 25, I think, probably about 25, 26 when I first skied. My only childhood memory of playing in the snow, well, not the only one, but the best one was when we had a big storm one, one winter and a bank of snow built up on the side of our fence. And it was just perfectly positioned and I was able to sled down it, you know, it was just a mess. And I was just like, this is amazing. And it, it's this locked into my memory because it had that much of an impression. Me, like, wait, the snow can build up here. And I can grab this sled and slide down it all day long. This is amazing. And it only happened one winter. Just, I guess, the amount of snow and the wind blowing in the right direction. One winter in my childhood. We continue to get snow, but never quite like that. And I'd say the next step, you know, I always talk about is in high school, seeing several kids showing up on Mondays with continually growing stack of ski passes on their jacket and just being an active kid, loving to run around and try this sport and try that sport. You know, I, I looked at those tags and said, wow, I mean, what's that about? You know, how would I be able to 
do what they're doing. But because of my family's disinterest, quite frankly, in, in snow sports and skiing, I never had any experience in experience in that. It just never happened. We did arrive one. I remember one evening we were camping in the Poconos and we went to Shawnee Mountain at night and just visited and took a look at the mountain and people were night skiing. And my dad made some comment that led me to think we may ski tonight. We may actually try this thing, but alas, we did not. And oh. we, we just sort of like carried on to normal life, but, but it was just within reach, but it didn't happen. So it wasn't until I was in my twenties where some friends asked me to, um, to go really about 45 minutes from my house in Northern New Jersey at the time and uh, go night skiing at Mountain Creek. And that was my first introduction to putting the skis on and just giving it a shot. I wouldn't recommend it, but I didn't take any lessons. I just felt like I was capable enough to try to figure out with my friend's instruction. And, you know, I just, the bug got me then and I just never stopped. Mm -hmm. What is one of your favorite memories on the snow? Man, gosh, that's, that's a tough question. You know, I would just say in general, my most joyous times on the snow are times when I've been able to, to put together gatherings of people on the snow, you know, whether it's when, you know, we do it back in New Jersey and upstate New York or go up to Vermont, or, you know, when I bring groups of people from New Jersey out to Park City or to Breckenridge and Keystone and Vail and different things like that, that we had done over the years prior to me moving when I think it's that camaraderie and shared joy that happens when you know, you bring groups. I enjoy skiing alone, but I think it's that much better when you share the experience, obviously, when you're going down the mountain and there's this communication that happens and there's this decision-making that happens with that person or persons that you're with. So generally speaking, that's, that's the overall joy. Yeah. Totally. So you're in Park City now. Is Park City your home mountain now? It is. Yeah. It's, it's my closest park city and canyons are my closest. I do ski other areas, but if I'm able to take a half day or a couple of hours, I'll, I'll typically head to park city or if people are in town or if, you know, for whatever reason, either staying with me or staying in town, it's usually the most convenient to go there as well. So I would definitely call that my home mountain for sure. So what was the, yeah. uh, what was the impetus for the move West? Was it just to be closer to the mountains or? I had, my wife and I both shared a love for the mountains. We met in New York City and, you know, we've done a lot of traveling. And at one point we actually went back to her home country of Bolivia in South America. And during our time there, um, which was a great experience, it just, because of the language barrier, I never quite became proficient enough, nor that I have sort of the, the connections there from a personal standpoint. Yeah, there were a lot of introductions to really get on my feet professionally in, in La Paz, Bolivia. I, you know, I, there were some projects, there were some different things going on there, but it was never quite enough to, to really build something. So within, within five, six months, I came back to the States. When we had a conversation about coming back to the States, my wife recommended Utah because she had gone to college here, grew up in <laughs> Bolivia, but went to college in Utah, University in Utah. And that was a brief conversation. I, you know, as a New York kid, I just... I didn't even know what Utah really was. And this is also, this was, I had already been skiing, but Utah didn't sound like a place for me as a New York metro area individual. But I visited a few years later and during that trip of traveling all throughout Utah 
a family member of my wife, of my wife brought us up to Park City and we went to the base of Canyons Resort and I just never been to a place like that. And it just struck me like, wow, this is what it could be. I said, I'm coming back here next year with friends. And that happened for 12 years. It just continued to come back. And after 12 years, we decided, you know what, let's, let's go ahead and move out here. I love the mountains. I love the snowboard. She has a brother out here. And we were just ready for a change. And going to the mountain was a shared love for us. So we're like Park City or bus. And we, we came and said, you know, all right, let's, let's put our roots down. And so that's been 10 and a half years now. Yeah. That's incredible. That's been pretty good. Amazing that you got, you know, obviously with your kind of work is flexible. You can, you can make that kind of choice. Correct. Correct. I've been working for myself, you know, 20 plus years, you know, in various design and marketing and artistic pursuits and engagements. So I can really do that from, from anywhere. New York was a great base, whether I was doing trade shows and, you know, over in Europe or having to head over to California or go down to Miami or Charlotte or whatever it was. New York was always a good base, but it was just time for us to just, it was sort of like a change of life thing. And we knew that again, our love of the mountain was going to be a mutually agreeable destination. So, but yeah, the freedom because of working for myself, the freedom of that is, I mean, it's a privilege, you know, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Going back through your body of work, looking through some of the work you've done historically and some of the clients that you've worked with historically. There's always been an element of of sport, of movement in your work, it seems like. Mm. But but skiing and color seems to be very was a very different turn for you. Talk to me through the thought process of, you know, developing that body of work, that series. Yeah, it, it's great for you to to recognize that. It's true. I love movement. I think that that wiry, restless, active kid never really left me. And I think that's you know squeezed through in my art. But I found myself when selling the art didn't matter as much. You know, I'd be painting black and brown people, dancing, walking through New York City. You know, it's just sort of more of a origin story of art in my experience in the New York metropolitan area. And when I came here as a commercial artist designer, I said, okay, how can I tap into the ski market? Maybe it's an online business, you know, to get engaged in souvenir work and different things like that. And I did. So I found myself never actually creating black and brown people on the slopes when I did that because I didn't see that as the target audience, you know, quite frankly. And, you know, part of my background just as a mountain lover was on the one hand, The mountains were so all-encompassing for me, knowing the demographics, but also being used to the demographics from, you know, the the suburban upbringing that I had from like K through 12. Quite frankly, it was not a shocking environment to be in. And yes, I did design things like maybe I give them a little tan, but I did it straight out, you know, quite frankly intentionally put black and brown people on skis where I did these posters and magnets and different things like that. That was sort of like an offshoot income stream for me outside of my typical. And as I, again, separating myself from this environment, I took some time away in Mexico just to paint, just to get some canvases and paint and just make things. And 
I thought about parts of the environment. I mean, I've got elks and I've got moose and I've got all of that different stuff. I've, I've got those things. I guess upon continual reflection and getting more to the core of who I am as, you know, a black man living in Park City who snowboards, who happens to be an artist, you know, what was missing for me? What were the things that were visually missing on the slopes, in the ski towns, in the galleries, on Main Street, amongst the sort of super white majority slopes? What was missing? I hadn't really engaged into the why. I can throw out some reasons why, but it wasn't deep enough of a study, but I have my own reflections from remarks and looks and comments and things where I, having moved to this super white town, was many times asked like, hey, where are you visiting from? Many, many times. Now, anybody could be asked that, but when you ask me that, I'm thinking you're thinking what I think you're thinking, you know? And so just with sort of countless comments and sometimes well-meaning but ignorant interactions with people here, I just ended up landing on quite simply, what is the condition of the black skier? And that's how skiing in color started once I was put myself in this residency, again, down in Mexico, which lasted close to two years, but I had been coming back and forth to the States and I continued to do my design business and it began to share these paintings with a nonprofit here in Park City that was the first one to exhibit them. And once I did that in December of 2020, that sort of when all the connecting started to happen. I had no idea any of the conversations going on about black and brown involvement in the outdoors, let alone skiing. I mean, I literally had zero. I was just having a conversation with myself. What did that mean? And I came from, not just from my own experience, but I came from that place, but I was going into it with an open mind, an eager mind to learn what other stories were who were just as valuable as mine. And what I came upon were groups and nonprofits and individuals who had so many stories that are decades old. And that just began to compound and, you know, really inform me of the true condition of folks in the mountain spaces and, and in terms of outdoor access and how they feel, how they get there. And let's talk about what those barriers are and how can we make it better and why is it important to make it better as a community? So, you know, that's kind of been the arc of brought me where, where I am right now. That was long. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. <laughs> well, <thank> you. <laughs> You have become a, like a major node in the conversation about equity of access in the outdoors and actually meaningful representation. I know I cried ugly tears when I saw your painting of girl with the Afro puffs because I just like, that's my niece, right? And mm -hmm. I'm in my 40s and it's the first time I've seen someone from my family represented in the thing that I love so much. Mm -hmm. um, mm, wow. And, you know, and I can... Compare and contrast that to a photo that I saw in a standard outdoor magazine, and there was a black woman, and it was a backcountry scene. It was selling gear of some sort. And this black woman in the backcountry ostensibly had her hair loose, and she had on acrylics and jewelry. And so as a black woman, I'm looking at her and going, you would have your hair in a protective style if that's what you were actually doing. And as a person right. who goes in the backcountry, I'm going, I would never bring delicate jewelry into the backcountry. So right. all parts of me 
went, that person doesn't belong there. Mm-hmm. But wow. when I see your paintings, it, it speaks to me as both a person on the mountain as a person of color. It's meaningful mm-hmm. and it's authentic. Mm-hmm. So was that part of the, was, were you looking at this and just in fact designing something you wanted to see? Did you understand the response that you were going to generate out of this? No idea. No idea. It was kind of jumping off, you know, pick the high place and not knowing where it would land, but more so eager to hear the various perspectives based on where that person stood or what that person thought, which is often based on their experience, right? And based on their conditioning. And, you know, it's it's interesting. For me, it's vital that there's not this this monolithic culture that continually perpetuates itself as it always had this status quo expectation in these beautiful privileged wonderful healthy exhilarating places that i love so i'm speaking from that place but that multiculturalism can become a norm in those places you know not just in the cities, but also in the mountains. I, I'm, I'm very much passionate about my city, New York, you know, born and raised in Manhattan, born and raised in New York city, born on the island of Manhattan. You know, I've flexed a little bit on that. Like I'm super proud of that, but the mountains for totally other reasons that satisfy a whole other side of me. And so the multiculturalism that happens in New York and New Jersey, that, that I just took for granted found that lacking when I embedded myself and immersed myself here. Cause I can go to the mountain and go back to Northern New Jersey, go to the mountain, go into New York the next day. You know what I'm saying? It was a mix of things. So it didn't really compound as an experience back in New York and New Jersey here it did. And so, um, that is part of what I'm hoping to continue to plant the seeds for in terms of my, if you can see it, you can believe it kind of thing going forward whether I'm speaking to the impressionable child who may not have imagined themselves, you know, taking a hike through the woods or putting on a pair of skis from them to the owner operators of these resorts, you know, sort of everything in between there. So to me, it's about the normalization of multiculturalism and speaking from an authentic place myself, which is a black American, you know, that's where I draw my thoughts from almost exclusively. I definitely have a heart for other groups, but I try to be careful and have conversations with those groups as to how they would feel, such as indigenous peoples. How would they feel if I depicted them? They have a whole other story. I'm beginning a series called Homecoming, where I am depicting local tribes in their respective mountains, but almost coming back home you know, with a sort of a hybrid of exactly who they were and bring them to where we are right now. You know, I, I like to use goggles and skis as the metaphor for modern activity and modern times in those spaces that are their ancestral land. And what are the conversations that happen when they come back and see what it is? How are they looked at? And from my understanding, they've often felt unwelcome. And uh, I know that someone who I revere, just like so many other millions of Martin Luther King, spoke to the plight of the Native Americans. And uh, so I'm just more riffing off of that, not with my words or my prose, but with my art. Okay, that 
that spun off on me like 11 different questions. So this might seem like it's a bit scattered. On your website, you've got an Arapaho skier up depicted from homecoming, which I, I absolutely love. And you've sort of teased perhaps, you know, a collaboration with Beer Valley and the Shoshone people. Do you want to talk about that at all? Can you talk about that at all? I could say that that's true and that I wanted to, particularly with the Eastern Shoshone, give them a place at Deer Valley. I'm, I'm in, in essence, I'm doing an activation through Altera with my local Altera Mountain, which is Deer Valley, putting a representation of it. Shoshone on the mountain, um, holding skis, you know, and, uh, you know, as in every other case, you know, looking for eyeballs to be on these images, you know, my tool is visual arts. And so, you know, with the repeated glances and looks at these black and brown people at these various resorts, right? So this is just another way of doing that. And it just was just laying heavy on my heart after coming from, again, a black and brown perspective and having continuous conversations and, and collaborations with Native Americans or indigenous peoples that, man, they're hurting, man. And, and you know, I'm not at all indigenous. So, and I want to respect that, but it doesn't mean I can't march with you or speak alongside with you or out or have an allyship with you just in the way that I'm giving. And at least that's my hope. That's sort of what we hope to do here at BIPOC outside is to mm -hmm. find coalitionary space, be allies and, you know, and look to those futurisms. And I love that you are, you know, putting paint to canvas to visualize what those futurisms could be. Indigenous peoples, Black peoples, Indigenous peoples reclaiming their mountains, Black peoples enjoying that space and being welcome. 100%. I mean, that's vital. And and again, I go back to not knowing what any of the responses would be to my work, which are all based on their perception of the meaning of my work. But everyone interprets the meaning, again, through their own, their own goggles, so to speak. And I have had, you know, some degree of pushback by folks um, over the time. And I know that if, you know, whatever voices those are can be compounded, you know, in other words, can be multiplied. I've just only heard the few. Many are silent, you know, most, I would say, get it, you know, or at least tolerate it. But there are some who are like, you know, what are we doing here? I mean, there was one guy who who looked at the exhibit that I have at Snowbird of all black faces. And he remarked on an Instagram post, like, this is not representative. I was like, what is this? Like, he was just offended. And I'm like, like, buddy, you're kind of making my point. But I want to hear those things. That informs me, that educates me to sort of like the holistic perspective of the viewers. Right. And if, and, and he's got his own justification. And I, I just like to say that if you were never offended by the almost exclusively all white depictions, you know, when I, whenever I could walk through a lodge or use the restroom or go in a gallery on any main street ski town in America slash the world, it's that typical white skier of any age that's depicted on posters and paintings and quite frankly, just in real life. If you're, if you're not desirous of seeing something different, then, and all that's beautiful, but if you're not desirous of 
changing that or being an agent for change in that, that wasn't offensive to you. Why are all black faces offensive to you? You know what I mean? What, you know, we've, we've, we all like to see ourselves. I'm just asking you to consider the, the condition of people who don't look like you to sometimes never or often rarely see themselves in the spaces that they love to be in. So for me, that's my sort of friendly challenge. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it, it, this is again, a place of joy. I'm just asking people to, if they can, that's part of my personal reasoning. I think I'm pretty open about that. My art is for the people who are there, art is for the people who want to be there, but it's also for the people who, who are triggered by it, who disagree with me. Let's have a conversation, you know? I, I'm in no way saying you don't matter. I'm just saying to love the people who don't see themselves as often as they'd like to. That's all. Another thing in your work that speaks to me personally as a, as a woman, as, you know, an auntie, as a to-be elder in the not-distant future, okay. the way that you depict your women and girls, the ski environment can be very dude bro. Right. And women in outdoor advertising sort of get pushed into a very specific trope, not necessarily mm -hmm. somewhere where I'd want to push my nieces. And that's when I, this is, my nieces and nephews are my, you know, my impetus for everything. Mm -hmm. Your women are fierce and they look mm -hmm. competent. Is this just, you know, is there a thought process behind how or are you inspired by certain women that you're depicting or is it just right off the top? Well, I could tell you I've grown up with very strong women in my life, strong mother, strong sisters, strong wife. I don't know anything else. But so there is a thread of sort of confident and 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 fashion background in my work. So what may come through is maybe a little bit of fierceness, a little bit of, you know, determination. I think that probably is coming through pretty apparently. It's, there's not a lot of wallflowerism in the women there. And I'm very mindful of what you mentioned in terms of that, you know, bro dude, you know, attitude that may permeate the mountains and things like that. And in my own way, I don't like to overstep. I like to consider myself a feminist in the sense that, you know, having two daughters and sisters and, you know, it's, I rock them right there wherever I can arrive and, and better. So I, I, as much as I, I love my bros, I, I, I always typically lean towards, you know, you know, drawing the female figure. I just, I just do, to be honest. Yeah. I like that. I want to go back to something you said earlier about when you were learning about some of the people that are trying to make changes in the space and they've been doing it for decades. I, I laughed out loud and actually had to pause the clip when you were interviewed on MSNBC because they described your work and the work of the National Brotherhood of Skiers as new. And the National mm. Brotherhood of Skiers just had their 50th anniversary. Um, talk to me about the stereotypes in the space and, and what you're learning and what you're thinking about combating them. And I mean, we've been around for a while. Right, right. And I think one of the stereotypes is the, the novelty aspect of the black skier. Like they're going to pop up somewhere, but that's nice. We have a good time and they're fun and everything like that. But that, again, it doesn't feel normalized to me. It's fun. We're great. And we are, you know, but I love all that. I love the all sort of like cultural introductions that we constantly do, whether it's just endless, whether it's our food, our music, our clothing, whatever that we bring to any space that we're in. Part of my concern 
you know, based on those expectations and norms is that they're so strong and long held that a lot of the efforts that can be made to better the community on the mountain are temporary and trend-based as profit-driven organizations look to check that box and activate their, you know, DEI program, right? So I want to be part of something better and something permanent. And I think in essence, like for me, my art, when you hang it and you allow eyeballs to be on it, that's a permanent activation for me. So in that way, it's not just a quick marketing thing for that season that comes and goes. But if you put that artwork there in whatever form you're using it as a visual, to, to me, I'm hoping to help, again, that to be part of the seeds for my skill set and gifts that are planted along with the collaboration of the wider movement, right, that happens through nonprofits, through product partners that I have, and, and through mountains. So that is beginning to take place. I think my sort of feet to the fire thing is, I, I tell people the story that I began this collection of artwork. The timing was an unfortunate but coincidental timing, uh, but five months before George Floyd, which was an eye-opener for many people, and a stimulus for organizations to say, hey, we should do better, you know, but then how long does that last? Are you just responding to this devastating catastrophe that's, that, that's happening or do you mean it? You know, it's like anything else when you mean it, when you become married to something, you stick with it. So I was black before that happened and, and I remain so. So the conversation for me, it's just about improving the community through, you know, multiculturalism and the normalization of those things. And that minds are, you know, again, I always talk about the conditioning, you know, again, I was conditioned to accept that there's eh, mostly white people here, but I just love the mountains. So yay, I'm snowboarding hundred percent. I still feel that way, but what can we do to reach deeper, reach further again into those, into those communities and say, you're welcome here. You know, I'll, I'll go back to New York and I'll have meetings. It's just like, you know, skiing, like, and that's all black people say, you know, that's some, that's some white people ish. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, not necessarily, you know what I'm saying? So there, I'm, it's, it, they're a changing of hearts and minds for me just broadly. You know, I don't want to perpetuate any type of stereotype type or, or exclusivity to anything. When I say black, I mean all that we are. Assume that I talk this way, I do this thing, you know, I don't do that thing. You know, we are all of those things. And anyway, that that's that's important to me that because I see a continual pigeonholing from the majority that, you know, oh, here's a black person. I need to speak to them this way. And gosh, that bothers me. Yeah. That, that bothers me and, and it may not be coming from a place of uh, hate, but hate, but it's coming from a place of ignorance. And that's probably the thing that bothers me the most is the ignorance. Like, you know, be intentional about doing better and learning more outside of your immediate comfort zone of sameness, right? Yeah, absolutely. I get that. Oh, that's white folk stuff from my family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. from my dad. My dad was my first adventure partner, but but from our amazing family. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to go back. You mentioned Martin Luther King. You talk about him a lot. I know he's a huge influence in your life. I want to talk about the legacy series and the impetus of of depicting 
some of the most critical figures in Black North American history, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, as skiers. Talk yeah. me that. To me, it's the juxtaposition of each of their lives, respectively, the struggle, the work, the desperate and many times lives that they live, confrontational lives that they live with no thought of this arriving at a privileged place that I love um, in terms of being in those places and being determined to be there despite the sort of soft rejection or limited acceptance that's received. So I'm mashing those amazing lives together with this marvelous mountain space that I enjoy, which to me is also a metaphor for arriving, right? We we all know that final speech of Martin Luther King was, I've been to the mountaintop and, you know, and you'll be, and you'll be there with me. So he was using that metaphor of the mountaintop, which blew me away as I was painting the, the legacy series. He was actually probably the third of, the, of these, of these first four subjects in that legacy series that I painted. And I, I listened through that speech over again because oh my gosh he said i've been to the mountaintop like this is a destination place of arriving a place of peace a place of harmony a place of belonging a place of community and i just thought wow he's saying what i'm saying far more eloquently and in a different way but it just shook me right and i'm hoping you know without sounding too lofty to contribute to that that narrative you know i love the mountaintop you know, it's, um, it's that place when you get it there, when you're literally on a mountaintop or a peak, when you're at a resort or you're doing backcountry, whatever it is, we know that feeling when we get to the mountaintop or that peak and we look out, we've made it there. Right. And so there's been this successful journey, right? There's been this process that brings you there. You arrive there and you look out and there's a certain completion and a satisfaction that happens there. Now we can go on and on about what the mountaintop means, but certainly part of it is equity, quality, acceptance, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I want to be part of that, right. That, that same conversation that he, he, uh, he led us, he led us into. That's absolutely beautiful. And yeah, what an, what an important and innovative way to think through such an inspirational speech. I know, I mean, we had, when we were little, a photo, well, when I was little, a photo of, of MLK in the dining room. And, and it was funny because I tried to go back and find that photo. It's at my parents' house somewhere. And mm. sort of look at it and then look at your your depiction of him. And and it was just, it was like glee inspiring. I was like, <laughs> I did that. Thank you. Looking at some of your more, you know, your more recent work, you're doing a ton of stuff right now. Okay, actually, first question. Smith Optics, which you've done their posters for, I've been wondering. Brooklyn Bell on her goggle band. Is that her artwork on her goggle band? That is her artwork, yeah. That I had to repaint on the on the on the painting. Yeah. Yeah. I love the blend of that. That's really great. Yeah. So the reception of your work, it feels like a community is coalescing around the conversation that you're creating, that you've become this big node of. And, you know, talk to me about this community that is growing around you. It's it's pretty vast. I'm, I'm really overwhelmed with the support and partnerships that I've gotten, the conversation I've been able to have. What's vital, and I think that all the people who are Part of that community, or sometimes may, people may call it 
movement, you know, and I think I tend to agree with that term, is that we each play our own role, you know, with our various gifts and in our various places, right? In my case, throughout the United States, but also in, in, in Northern America, North America broadly, I really always lean into the, the togetherness of what we're all doing, that it's vital that we continue to work together for these things to to not just activate but to last right with 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 our various you know initiatives and 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 again skill sets so you know that's my hope but i've been really really pleased to number one find out that people have been having this conversation far longer than i mean i'm literally just talking to myself about it and just or i was not out loud but uh, maybe it was out loud but uh, to know that it's been an active movement that I was able to tap in through into and sort of like give a little key into that world through my artwork. And I'm like, wow, you guys have been hustling for a long time. I, I just rode with an instructor here who is, is a black man who lives not too far away from me, but he's instructing, been instructing at Park City for 22 years by himself, thinking he's the only black man and often you know, trying to have these conversations, but always feeling alone. And, you know, I guess hopefully for me to show up and snowboard with him and, you know, he's an instructor to learn how to snowboard better with him. Great tips to say that, Hey, you know, you got me, you know, and I've got you and actually just work with him with a film that's being made this past week that I was on mountain for. Yeah. And I, and I asked him to be part of it. So, so he was there and we were on park city mountain that he knows very well. And so, so, you know, he, he was awesome. He was awesome. So uh, it was a little odd sometime me being the protagonist in the film, having him behind me as this fabulous snowboarder. And I like to think I'm, I'm a pretty good snowboarder myself, but his form is just, you know, textbook and he's out there teaching and he's bringing, you know, quite advanced snowboarders out, you know, as his clients as well. So anyway, so that was fun, but just the whole thing of saying that, Hey, I got you. We're not alone. I see you. Whether it's, you know, like I said earlier, other groups that I may not be a part of, but your plight is resonating with me. And if at any point we can, if you need another voice, then, then uh, you know, I'll certainly be there for you. So talk to me about what's coming up next. Can you talk about the film project? Do you maybe want to tell me why you had chairlift chairs in the box of your truck as a person who also collects them. I was very excited about that. Tell me what's coming up. What can you tell us? I will say that those chairs will be sitting on the slopes of Deer Valley. And the film, it's always awkward to speak about myself like that, but the film is going to be about me. It's a short film. And, and I think within the next, probably within the next two months to be safe, it, it'll be available online. I'll share it. And, but it's part of a larger activation with, with the Vail Resorts. So, which again is important to me to be able to, you know, interact with these, you know, important voices in the mountain spaces as owner operators and to, you know, collaborate, partner with them in what, what is just to me the beauty of community and, um, but certainly their voice is going to resonate much further than just mine alone. So that partnership is really important with me. They've been, they've been fantastic in, in, in their, in their conversations with me. So yeah, really good. That's good to hear. What about yeah. mountain, any bucket list objectives or trips that you've got 
planned for the balance of the winter or into the spring? You know, it's funny. We were talking about doing this podcast and I said, I can't reach you until that Friday kind of thing. I just, for instance, it's been a little tough for me to find some breathing space, which I'm happy about, but it also takes quite a bit of energy. So this morning was the first time I woke up and didn't have to run off somewhere, run off and do something quite a long time. And I said, oh, my, my podcast that, or that, that talk is not going to happen until one o'clock. And I just, I, I was able to breathe a little bit this morning, but oh gosh, I've had a really good experience working with, gosh, I mean, environmental nonprofits, you know, product manufacturers of all sorts, mountains, the people who are part of those teams who genuinely care and genuinely want to be part of the chain, you know, quite frankly, have been wonderful. I just want to see that continue to grow. It's, it's interesting because I think in some ways my work is for it in, in terms of using the ski slopes as a, I guess, a medium or conversation for Again, arrival, privilege, you know, but also the privilege of health, the privilege of activity, the privilege of joy, right? All these different things. I, and also the conversation about race that's involved in it. I actually initially saw my work outside of the mountain, you know, where people just so far away from the mountains where it's almost like a surreal fist maybe doesn't belong with that kind of thing. And like, I'm seeing people who look like me, but what are they doing in the mountains? I live in the city here kind of thing. I'm also looking to engage with them. Not everybody wants to ski, but it's still a conversation of where do you feel like you may not belong? And why is that? And what are the barriers? And I just like to be a part of those conversations and really just come from my own personal experience of just having countless moments of knowing that I'm looked at in a way, and I'm sure you could speak to it as maybe many, 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 many of your listeners of color, like, hmm, I, I want to be here, but I know I'm not the typical, the typical person arriving here. So I really have to speak to those things and hopefully to foster the determinative attitude is like, but I'm going to be here, you know, wh- whatever that is. So I think that's a broader golden conversation that I have is to, like, you show up anyway. If you want to be there, show up. I think that's really the sort of underlying base message for whoever that subject may be in my piece or the viewer of that subject. Show up. Yeah. I love that. Where do our listeners find you? Where do we follow you? Where do we find you? So Lamont Joseph White is my Instagram. And you can get to my website through lamachosofwhite.com or ljwstudio.com. Both will bring you to my website. So primarily I'll be, I'll be posting things on Instagram and that's, that's the primary location for sure. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Listeners, you're going to find links on where to find Lamont and his work on the show notes for this episode. And we will also share as the film project comes out, something I know I'm personally really excited for. Lamont, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That is it for this episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Links on where to find Lamont are available on the show notes at BIPOCoutside.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, we sure would appreciate it if you would like or review the show wherever it is you're listening. It really does help us out. Thanks again, and I hope you'll join us next time on BIPOC Outside.